Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student, where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Hi everyone, welcome back to the 20-Minute Scriptorian. This is Lori, and today we're going to talk about the Book of Alma. So we haven't done an all about like we used to do as much in the New Testament, so I thought this is a perfect time to take a step back from the Book of Alma and talk about the overall structure and some of the things that are going on because the context, the story, the layout, the literary portions of this will really help us understand what Alma and what, in this case, Mormon is also trying to teach us. So let's do that next on the 20-minute scriptorium. So I know that you're going to say, Lori, we know this book. We've read it a million times. We don't need a lot of context. In fact, we just did it in the book of Mosiah. But I have been uh, doing some study and found some incredible articles that kind of lay out some really insightful things on how to look at this book, and I thought I would share them with you. So I'll leave the uh, the link in the gobbledygook down below, so if you want to go read that paper on your own. And anyways, uh, otherwise, I will uh, tell you all about it. So in All About, in All About, we take a step back from the book, and instead of diving right into the the quotes and the text and seeing the meaning and then the significance, we take a step back and we look at, overall, either the structure or the context or the, the genre, things like that that help us understand these books. And Alma is particularly powerful in this, and it might not be something you've seen before. So hang on, this is pretty cool stuff. It really helps me understand and give emphasis to why these things are in there. So for example, if when we look at this, it's going to start to answer the questions like, why are there so many war chapters in the Book of Mormon? Are we going to be living in a bunch of wars or something? And do I need to learn military tactics? And the answer is no, you don't need to learn military tactics. um, Because you'll see as we lay this out why there are so many war chapters in the Book of Mormon. Now specifically uh, in the Book of Alma, now specifically in the Book of Alma, there are 63 chapters. It is the longest book, single book in the Book of Mormon. And It is the one that actually tells an entire story. Now, you'll see that Mormon is going to connect a number of dots as the editor. He's going to bring in some direct uh, quotes, and we're going to see that starting in Alma 5, 5 through 7. He's going to, you'll see that at the top of your header, whether you're reading an electronic version or a printed version of the Book of Mormon, you'll see it'll be like, this is, you know, Alma's journal, basically, da-da-da-da-da, and then he quotes it in the first person. So while Mormon is editing this and putting it for our day, because remember, he's seen our day, then he says, this is written for you guys, he is choosing um, some of the specific things we need, and this is specifically from Alma the Younger. 
So pretty cool that he's like, hey, this is actually Alma the Younger's uh, writings. So he's writing in the first person and he's telling the story. So really cool. But in these 63 chapters, we're going to see first an overview, a theme. And this theme you're going to see is the same one we laid out in the story of Nehor last time. And that is an overall theme, a microcosm of the conflict of good versus evil. So this is going to go all the way back kind of to the story we learn in Genesis, the story you learn in every Star Wars movie, the story you learn in every um, morality tale, but good versus evil. And that's what the book of Alma is going to show you. So we're going to see that it's going, it's going to be this battle laid out between good and evil and the tools that they're going to use are going to be the sword, like the literal sword, or the word. And so it is a contest between good and evil, and the tools they're going to use are going to be the word or the sword. Now, the sword could be any kind of military implement, right? But it's just the idea there. And so think back to the story of Nehor for a minute. Nehor is going to be this guy that was inspired by Satan. He introduced priestcrafts, and it says specifically that Gideon withstood him with the words of God. So we read that last time, but Gideon withstood him with the words of God. And then we're going to continue on and we're going to learn right in the middle, right in the middle uh, of Alma, Alma 31.5, it says that the preaching of the word had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword. So it's going to remind us that. And then we've, as we've already kind of alluded to, you know, all the war chapters, there are going to be all these actual physical, terrible wars and conflicts in which people die. In fact, just in chapter three, we just had one. And so we blew right by that, but there are these actual physical conflicts and uprisings. And so this is that battle of good versus evil. And you're going to see it physically in war and conflict, and you're going to see it fought with the sword and with the word. And the clue here is that the word is going to have a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword. This is how we should fight these battles. This is what the conflict of our day is going to be the conflict of good versus evil. Okay, so that's kind of the overview. And then as you jump into a couple of these, uh, these chapters, you're going to see this, uh, this fight for the salvation of the contest of words. So I, I wrote down a couple more examples just to lay this out for us. First, um, in context, think about where we're landing ourselves and what's happening. So you already know the story of Mosiah. So you know the story of Alma Sr. And Alma's one with Noah, Abinadi, right? They had this battle of words, and then they have this great reformation in the church, right? This reformation that Alma the Elder, they go to the waters of Mormon, and these people are really changed. They change who they are, and they create a new community. And as that community is infused back into the land of Zarahemla, they see a great resurgence. And then... Almost as you flip the page, Alma's son, Alma the Younger, and the sons of Messiah are pretty bad dudes, and we get that story. Now, I didn't cover that story, but you know that story. So we see this change in this good versus evil of these in individuals. But you're also going to see the story in the book of Alma of the Nephites versus the Lamanites, the Amulonites, the Amalekites, the Zoramites. And then you're going to see some very specific people that are also kind of the good or the bad ones. So we saw it with Alma... Uh, the younger we saw it with the sons of Messiah they've been on both sides of this table and then we've now been introduced to Nehor we're going to meet Amalekai Malasai and we're going to meet Korhor and Zizram so we're going to meet these um, pretty bad guys as well so you're going to see this 
good versus evil in both the people and you're going to see it in specific individuals. So the salvation, the fight, the fight for the life, fight for the salvation of the souls is going to be fought. Now, one of the things that you're also going to see in this words is this idea of how clever some of these individuals are. So it talked about, for example, that Nehor was, you know, very clever with his arguments. And you're also going to see that later that it's going to say um, uh, that they used like a lot of clever words. And that term is called sophistry. So sophistry is when someone has a really clever argument. It sounds good, but it's not true. And so you're like, well, that's just not true. So in the case of Nehor, he was saying that, well, everyone will be saved um, and you don't have to do anything kind of idea. And it's like, well, wouldn't that be nice? And it might sound like, well, God loves everyone that, you know, there's something there. But ultimately, um, there is there's going to be right and wrong. So that was untrue. So you're going to see this use of words for good and evil. You're going to see this use of sophistry. Another interesting indicator is that the the literal word word like W-O-R-D, the word is used in the Book of Mormon, half of its entire use is in the Book of Alma. So Alma uses the term the word or some variation of that more than anybody else. Now it's a big book, so you're going to say, well, Aria, that's what it all says. But no, they are going to, he's trying to draw out this tool, this what's going to change the people, and it's going to have a profound effect is the word. So I want you to start looking for that use as you read through. You're going to see these people, and I want you to say, oh, these are the good, bad, good, bad guys. Or is this something that I can apply to myself? Is this something that, what tool do I have? What word do I have in my life? How am I going to apply this? So I want you to start watching for the use of word, and I want you to start watching for these good and bad guys, okay? Now, the other thing that you're, I want you to watch for is Alma is a great speaker. In fact, it says, in fact, I was looking for it. It was, it says that he's like mighty in word. Um, uh, oh, it's not chapter 10, but it says that Alma's, you know, he talks a lot, but it says he's actually a very powerful speaker. And so you're going to see five different speeches that Alma gives in the book of Alma. And so I want you to take a look at each of them and see who their audience is, what does he say to them? And why doesn't he just give the same speech? I mean, if he's giving this talk to these people, why is he changing it? So the first one's the one we're going to study today, and that's Alma 5. And that's right in his home court. That's in Zarahemla. So he's speaking to the members and some of the others in Zarahemla and Alma 5. And then uh, just a couple chapters later, you're going, he's going to go to a new city called Gideon, named after the hero Gideon we learned about. But they're a little more righteous. Um, they're not having some of the same problems. And he teaches them more about the Savior. In Alma 5, he's teaching them how to change. He's teaching them how to feel the Spirit. He's teaching them how to repent and what salvation is about. But once you've had that, you're more prepared to understand the role of the Savior. And so in Gideon, he's going to teach them more about the Savior. So an interesting contrast there. As we become humble and we become teachable, we're more apt to understand the role of Christ in our lives. And so you'll see that in the next, in this the same lesson this week, but you'll see that in Gideon. Then his third speech is in Alma 9. He's going to go on to Ammonihah and he's going to give a, a speech to them. In his fourth speech is to Zizram and the, uh, and the people there too, because it says there's Zizram, but there was like a great multitude. So it's not just specifically to him, but it's to those people as well. And that is in Alma 12. And then the fifth 
and uh, final big speech that you're going to see is in Alma 32 to the Zoramites. So I want you to, to look at each of the five of those and see who's his audience, why is he speaking differently, what can we pick up in this battle, this great cosmic battle of good versus evil, the role of the Savior, and which side are we on? Which side are we on? And then how do we affect them? Okay? All right. So let's return back to that Alma 5 really quickly. You got it so far? You got where we are? It's just brilliant writing. It's amazing. I, I absolutely love Mormon. I've told you that as an editor. He is just brilliant and setting this up for us that we don't even realize how um, well-crafted this is to teach us these lessons. Um, and like you saw just in Alma 5 and then Alma 7 between Gideon and the people of Zarahemla, the message changes based on what they need, what they're coming from in their context. So let's look at Alma 5 and answer those same questions. What's the context? What critical issues are coming up? Why is he speaking? Who's he speaking to? And then the first step we always do, right, is we try to find the meaning in the context. So we say, what's happening in here? And what did it mean? And then we kind of take a step back and we say, well, what was the significance or the application or the, the term we like to use as lichen, right? Like, how do I make sense for me? Uh, that's great for them but what does that mean for me? So the first thing, though, we want to try and find is just that meaning, and we can start with the context. So again, uh, this is setting this up. We know that we've had this triumphant reform in the church recently with Alma the Elder. We know that the people had gotten a little bit uh, more static. Now, the people of Benjamin had been mostly believers, and then we'd had this falling away and Noah and the people breaking off. And then there had had this deliverance from bondage, whether you were Alma or whether you were Limhi's people, Nephi's, uh, I'm sorry, Noah's son. But whether you'd had, you'd had this physical deliverance from uh, evil and from bondage. And now they're all back together in Zarahemla. And yet there's another falling away. We saw it as a personal falling away in Alma the Younger and, and the sons of Messiah. And then we see a great salvation of them and that, that amazing uh, conversion story. It's really a, an amazing story. We should go back and do that. But we see that it starts personally. It isn't just a people group, but now Mormon's going to dial it in for us. He's going to take the focus and he's going to bring it in on people, on individuals. Started with Alma the Younger, and now he's going to address this to individuals. So... How do we have this triumphant reform? How do we have this change of heart in our own? How do we achieve salvation? And he literally uses that word. How do you know you're saved? How do you know? How do you, and what does that mean? And so he's going to address that to individuals. Okay. Now, Alma, uh, the younger at this point, is a little bit older than when we first met him. He's been the high priest. He was the chief judge. And... What's happening to his people? Now, we talked about, you know, a few uh, generations ago, Benjamin, they all seem pretty righteous. And yet at this time, it doesn't seem like that at all. In fact, we've just left a time of political division, right? The Amalekites, we've left social unrest. There's political dissent and treason. Uh, there's also a fair amount of apostasy. We've been introduced to priestcrafts for this first time. So... That's the meaning. That's some of the setting and context. Take a step back and ask yourself, are any of these happening in our society today? Do we have any social unrest? Any political dissent? Treason? Priestcrafts? Apostasy? War? Mm-hmm. Terrible. This is exactly 
This is a page out of our book. So if you're watching the news, please don't. It's sad. If you're watching the news and you're looking at it like I am and you're saying, but Lord, what do I do? How do I affect social change? How do I help in this situation and these times of unrest, pandemic, um, uh, financial trials, uh, just everything that's going on? How do, what do I do with it? And he's going to say the word. He's going to say, draw closer to God through the word and learn of Christ. And so that's the, that's the meaning, the significance we can have for ourselves, excuse me, is that we can take these and say, this is the time that I am living in. This is the time that I'm living in. All right, so jump over really quickly to Alma 5. We will try to come back to this, but I want you to start looking at Alma 5 with these ideas. Uh, Alma 5 has a number of themes that you're going to see. You're going to, and, and there's kind of a literary structure. And one of the structures you're going to see is, is questions, right? We've all heard the, the 50 questions of Alma 5. Or if you haven't heard that, you just heard that. There are like 50 questions in Alma 5. I could only think of one other example in scriptures that had so many questions. And it's Job. Towards the end of Job, um, there's a series of questions being asked to Job um, by the Lord. And, and so it was the only other place I could really think of this technique being used in scripture so, so heavily. Um, so it's a, it's fascinating in its rhetorical technique. Why would someone use a question? I mean, in school, I always used one when I didn't have a good uh, way to introduce a paragraph, but here, why ask a question? Because it makes you answer it. Even if you don't say it out loud, you answer the question inside. It makes you ponder and consider. One of the exercises that we may want to consider in our Come Follow Me is find the 50 questions and answer them yourself. Or find the five that you think are most important and ponder and consider them yourself. I have a few that are my favorites uh, f for sure, and uh, and maybe I'll share those later, but it's interesting that he uses questions. He, he uses questions. He makes us reflect. The other thing I think is so poignant about that is this is not corporate salvation. This is not salvation for the people or the big group, right? The corporate salvation. This is about the individual. This is about where you are in your stance with the Lord. And so this is a very individual kind of approach. It's not the approach that you're going to see quite as much in say the old Testament, it's the approach you're going to see that the Savior has. It's the approach we're going to see, obviously, in the Book of Mormon. It's about me. Where do I stand? What do I believe? In a time of unrest, in a time of distress, in a time of worry, we, we need to look inward and to the Lord. What do I believe? Why do I believe that? And if I did believe that, do I still believe that? Right? I need to really ponder those. The other interesting thing I think about the questions is it means that once you have a testimony or once you've uh, been converted to the Lord, it's not something that's static. It doesn't just stick a pin in it and it's done. But we have times where we, we, it's ups and downs, it's waves, we're closer, we're farther, we're more in tune with the Spirit, we're less in tune, maybe we doubt, maybe we fail. Uh, but the Lord's asking us to come back. He's asking us to continually a refresh and come back to those conversion, that personal change that's happened to us. And those questions help us do that. 
If you, this is my clue. I'm just taking this takeaway for myself. But if, if Lori, if I find myself going, I don't know, I'm kind of about church right now, or I don't really have the fire that I used to, or I doubt, or I don't, that makes me uncomfortable or something in the gospel. Um, I can come to this chapter and I can ask myself these questions. I really have to ask myself, don't I? That's hard work. I better be ready for that, right? I better be ready for that. Quick, quick aside. Uh, I know missionary stories, but when I had him, when I was on my mission, I taught a young man and, uh, he was about my age and his parents had joined the church, but he had not. And he, we kept asking him to be baptized and he knew everything. And he came to church. He was a really good guy. And you could tell that he, he understood, um, the role of the savior and he felt like it was true, but he just wouldn't really ask. He wouldn't we said, well, why don't you pray about it? Why, why don't you ask if you should be baptized? Why don't you ask if, um, if this is the true church, why don't you ask the Lord what you should do? And he finally said, well, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> what? What do you mean you're not going to ask? Why wouldn't you ask? And he looked straight in the eye and said, because I'm not ready to follow the answer. Good tip. Good tip from him. When we ask ourselves these questions, are we ready to follow the answer that we might be given? Yeah. So, so, Go through and see if we can find some uh, some of the questions here in Alma. All right? You know, we are already out of time. I can't believe it. So we'll have to split this up and we'll come back and we'll actually jump into five and see what these literary questions are. But let's, let's uh, stop there. Hey, Scriptorians, keep on reading. Keep your hope high. The Lord loves us. This book is for our day. He wants us to win that battle between good and evil. And here's our playbook. All right? Love you, brothers and sisters. Keep on reading.